0: bikers that showed up to our church and they asked if they could come to church and i looked at him and says why couldn't you come to church and he says churches aren't open to us i says churches aren't open to you coming as bikers to church no well not to get too lengthy here that was true and uh So we said, sure. So I started asking them why the vests, what they rode, all that type of thing. And one thing led to another, and I went to got motorcycle safety course, started riding, and started to experience a little bit about the motorcycle biker community. And, And they came to me one time and said, could you do an event called the Blessing of the Bikes? And I said, the Blessing of the Bikes? I said, well, we don't really bless the bikes. I mean, we bless our food, and, you know, we pray over various things. But can we do like we want to pray for the bikers? The, the the motorcycles kind of go where they point them. And they said, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, but the term that's used in the biker community is the blessing of the bikes. So under their leadership, in 1996, we started the process to have our first blessing of the bikes in 1997. Now, just to give you an idea, we were interviewed by four newspapers. The press showed up because this was not a common thing for a church to invite bikers to come in and go to church. We had 160-some bikers show up that first Blessing of the Bikes, and a person in the community called our police dispatch and said, I am a little concerned <laughs> at the number of the motorcycles that are coming into Murraysville. Now, Murraysville suburbia. Okay, we are suburbia, white-collar suburbia. And God has a sense of humor because he took a, a suburbia church and a pastor because we do other ministries in other areas uh, in, in many respects. And, uh, and called us to do a biker ministry, Blessing of the Bikes. And she said, I'm concerned that the number of bikers are coming into Murraysville. And the dispatch, police dispatch said, don't worry ma'am, they're all going to church.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it has grown. We've had at times since then, on the Blessing of the Bikes, we've probably had close to 15 to 20,000 people and over 10,000 motorcycles show up on, a, on that one time a year. The local church, deaconesses, Elders, police, medics, fire departments, volunteers, tech crew, worship team, all all of that base in a local church is actively doing missions, home missions. And I mean, literally, and, and we've had people from our community say, it's amazing how many people are involved in this, and it's true. But we were tested to see whether or not we would take that step. Well, then what happened, the door opened up that we found, that because the church wasn't open to bikers, the bikers weren't coming to church. So the church needed to go to the bikers. And to put it shortly, the Great Commission. We, The Alliance, what I like about the Alliance, and I'm the lead pastor at Murraysville, is that we're Great Commission churches. We are, And I saw some of your announcements, and that's exactly where you're at. We're Great Commission churches. We're told, make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. And we're told that we are witnesses of these things, of Je- Jesus is the Messiah. And we're told that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we shall go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And this is our Judea and Samaria. We're not to the other most parts yet of the world. And the other most parts of the world. And so we, we, we said, all right. And Lord, gave, we got some New Testaments. And originally they were just New Testaments. And then what happened over time, and so we go to a bike rally and we had boxes of Bibles on the back of the bikes we would wait for people to walk by and get them but we found that when we went to some rallies we we couldn't park close by. We were blocks away and everybody went that way and uh, we have a retired Alliance missionary Abe Sandler he's um uh, Orthodox Jewish background That reaches Jewish people. And one year he asked me if I would be willing to be trained with him to get down to the streets of Pittsburgh and be part of reaching out to Jewish people. And we stood on the street corners with little pamphlets saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And boy, did we get some responses (laughs) in various forms and fashions. Little did I realize that that was God's way of preparing me to go the next step when it came to the biker ministry. And I remember we were at an event in Milwaukee and we couldn't we were blocks away from where everybody was at and we had hundreds of these bike, bike bibles and the Lord said do as you did with Abe do as you did with Abe and so I took a marker a pen and I wrote on the side of the boxes free biker bibles and we went up and stood on the street corner unbelievable unbelievable and I went there it is and so what we do is we have we hold a box that says Free Biker Bibles. We stand on the street corner like this. Good morning, how are you? We don't force feed it because they'll throw it away. But over the years, but if they want to take it, they take it. We talk, we pray, whatever God might have for them. But the, do you believe that the Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, that it cuts to the very marrow of the bone, and that the Word of God will not return void until it's done its work? If you believe that, God's got this. So what we do is we get it to them, and once in a while, we'll get a response back that God's got this. He truly does. Over time, this Bible has been designed for us, and we're the only ones that can get this particular Bible. And uh, we're the ones that use this, and we've probably given out over a quarter of a million of these Bibles over the years. And uh, they've gone all around the world, because at these rallies, you have people from everywhere and uh so we should see okay we're doing the great commission so that's how i got started so we stand on the street corner and uh, you get people once in a while I'll tell you where to go but we tell them we're not going there anymore that's why we're standing here because in jesus you know what i'm saying we had some we've had people almost trip over themselves to get across to the other side of the street because we were standing there but see great commission work now Local churches do it in different ways, but this is what God has called us to do. But this has led to veterans ministry, recovery ministries, and I could go on. This has led to a variety of ministries in the local church. And what we say, it's a local church at work. So now what we say to bikers, in fact, today we were at McDonald's because we didn't know you had a great breakfast here. And this lady was there, and she looked up at me, and she says, Pastor Dan. I have it down here, okay? She says, are you a real pastor? I am. I haven't been asked that for a long time. But you see, the local church wouldn't allow bikers in. We had to go to them. And they still, when they see me, they can't believe that I'm a real pastor <laughs> doing biker ministry. So I said to her, I said, she asked where we were from. I told her about, I says, Here's where, where we're going to church. And I told her where we were going to church. Why? We point back to the local church. Because there's a lot of independent groups out there in the biker community. I call them lone wolves. And they're doing great things for God. They are. They, they, God's called them to do those type of ministries. But we've got to point back to the local church. That's where it's at, mm. in my opinion. That's where we do our work. Oh. And that's where God equips us to build up and to use our, our time and our talents, our treasures, which is our finances and our spiritual gifts, to advance the kingdom of God. And that's part of what we're doing so that's why we're here and to get God's word out and uh, try to reach people but we want to thank you for allowing us to be part of that but now I asked two individuals okay, yeah. to come up and Dave Murray why don't you come on up Dave Murray yeah, yeah, Dave. <laughs> was here also seven years ago and uh, he's been riding with me for a number of years so go ahead sir
2: well you asked me to relate one story came to my mind and I was thinking about a a gentleman that we would meet at all the rallies he worked a t-shirt vendor booth, and I would see him at three or four a year his name was Ken and I'd talk to him but we went to Laconia one year and he asked me for a bible finally after like 10 years and he would ask me questions every morning about the bible we'd read it at night and we talked for throughout the week and then I didn't see him again for about a year and a half And I was in Daytona, and he walked up to me on the street, and he said, that Bible you gave me, he said, I've been going to church every week. I prayed for my son and my wife. My son's getting along with my wife. Changed our lives. They're going to church. We all accepted Jesus. And he gave me a hug and left. (laughs) I've never seen him again. He quit the business and went elsewhere. But I know, as our church says, I will see
3: him again on the other side. That's
0: awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. We um, we find oftentimes the vendors watch us. They watch us. We're there every day. They'll watch us, and they'll come out and they'll say, "We've been watching you for three to four days. You believe in what you're doing? I'll take one of those." And you got a story here that it wasn't a biker. It was a vendor who works long hours all that time, um, trying to make a living, and God reached him in that way. So Pat, Shore? She was also here seven years ago. She's been riding with us for a long time. she had been, she's been part of the. Uh, she's seen the evolution of this ministry from day one. Have you? From the beginning. From the very beginning. Yes.
4: I didn't go on a bike the first time, but I caught the, I caught the wind. I, I when in relating to motorcycles and bikers and junk, because there's a difference between motorcyclists and bikers. But that's later. Um, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say, Pastor Dan, but. I said I rode once drunk in a cornfield in Texas on a little dirt bike, so I... Never mind, shut up. (laughs) And God changes lives, amen? (laughs) (laughs) On um, September 4th of this year, I'll have 35 years sober. And um, that came after... (laughs) That came after a lot of stuff. Um, Anyway in order to do this biker ministry and, and Pastor Dan wanted me to come up with one story from the streets and there's just so many of them you know we've been out there for 25 years and we've given away a lot of Bibles and you're so surprised sometimes that the the people that'll take the Bible or they'll walk 15 feet away and you see them and they turn around and they come back to you and yeah I'll take one of those we had a guy in in Florida Daytona had a UPC code on the back of his neck, took a Bible. I don't know what that UPC code meant, but we've seen it all. But in order to do this ministry, we had to get down in there with them, you know. And, and I did relate to all of them because I lived the lifestyle that they lived. And we had a, a husband and a wife that came through our ministry, and um, she died last week of, of uh, pancreatic cancer. But we watched her and her biker boyfriend, get married, get baptized, give their life to the Lord, and that's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we've had baptism services, you talk about them going over the the spillway. No, we, Nick
0: did that. Okay. We
4: tell them, I'm looking at him. <laughs> Pastor Dan loves me, and not just because it's in the book. I might be that thorn that... that uh, Paul asked to be removed three times. And, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you.
1: <laughs>
4: you Woo! Um, you don't enter recovery because you're normal. Um, I lost my... Oh, we put ice cubes in our baptismal. We tell them that. Yeah. So We broke the ice for you this morning. Isn't that what you tell them? But praise the Lord. Um, every time we have one... I lost my train of thought. Every time we have one of these baptisms... To see an old biker that we lovingly refer to them as get baptized. We had a fellow named Tony get baptized and he's got chicken tattoos hands on his they're they're chicken paws. I don't think chickens have paws. But anyway, he's he got he got jewels hanging on his beard, you know, and he's awesome. Got baptized, made me cry, you know, because that's why we do what we do. And uh There's thanks awesome. for letting us come. Thanks Evelyn for allowing my husband and I to stay at your house and they've been the best. We can't do what we do without you. Oh,
3: that's great. That's so great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, yeah.
4: the local
0: church at work doing great commission ministries to your Jerusalem, yeah. to your Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. Hmm. And God calls you to reach a different group of people, but we must reach people for Jesus. We're learning they're not going to come to us. We've got to go to them, and uh, and that's exactly what we've got to do, and that's why we're on the streets. So he asked the last question to me this morning. Uh, what can you do for us? Pray for us, okay? Pray for us on the streets this week. Pray as we interact. Pray that those who need to get the Bible will get the Bible, and uh, that's what we want. And that then when they take those Bibles home, then, that God will do the work that he wants to do, whatever it might be and uh and then just um, you know and we will be praying for you because we see here a heart for home missions and uh we this is where we got to be i truly believe jesus is coming back soon and uh we need to prepare the way by uh telling the good news of jesus christ we need mm. to be witnesses yeah. so no matter how old we are or how young we might be uh <laughs> You know that's in the, the Biker community. The Biker community is getting older. There's going to come a time this type of ministry is going to be less and less. The rallies are getting smaller because the baby boomers aren't riding there; they just can't. And we're not seeing the young crowd come in on that. But you see, our heart is not our heart's to do great commission work. So God will put us where He needs to put us. Amen.
3: Amen. 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 So thank you for Amen. the opportunity. Well, thank you. Well, before you leave. Can we do just that? Can we pray for you? Absolutely. Can we pray over those things? And so just thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the Great Commission seriously. Did
0: I cover everything you wanted me to cover?
3: So-so. Okay.
0: You did great. You did great.
3: Thank you so much. I know uh, these guys have a lot more stories that they could share. Oh, yeah. Um, And so if you're hosting one, grab as much time with them as you can. If not, grab as much time as you can today, this afternoon, or this week as they're in town. Uh, I'm going out Tuesday with you. Yep. Uh, to work the corner, as you said. And so, be praying for us. Be praying for your khaki-wearing pastor as he goes out to the Sturgis rally. Um, yeah, and, that uh, he,
0: he doesn't have to wear any leathers. No tattoos. We're all good. And uh, he'll do well because uh, you have a lot of average people down there just absolutely yeah. curious about what's going on. Right. Yesterday, I had three young men. Uh, late 20s, probably. And the one kid came up. He looked at me. And he... Strided up to me just like my youngest son would do just before he was going to mess with me. You know, pick on okay. me like
2: that. Yeah.
0: What are you doing? Like this. And the way he dressed and everything. And I looked at him and almost said, is your first name? And call him by that, <laughs> the name of my youngest son. He says, can I have one of those? I said, yeah. Well, he's with two other guys. The other guy says, you know what? Maybe I'll take one of those. I said, okay. They walked away and I looked at the third guy and I says, Two out of three, really? He was all right, I'll take one. He took one.
1: <laughs> but,
0: uh, you know, that young man come up the way he came directly up to me, he's a leader of those three. And uh, I, when they walked away, I said, Lord, take those three men and change their lives and use them as a testimony for you mm-hmm. to their generation. And uh, I believe that God's not done with that boy yet. I believe there was a reason he came to me. And uh, see, I get God bumps when I start thinking about that kind of
3: stuff. But anyway, go ahead. That's great. All right. Well, Common Ground, would you join us in praying? Um, If you feel comfortable, would you extend a hand as we pray for these guys? If you're in arm's reach of, as Nick said, someone who might look like a biker, um, would you uh, place your hand on them as well as we... (laughs) Adrian can take it too. Um, and that's just a physical representation of the spiritual reality of our support, of our love, our care, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit as well. And you got three riders
0: right here. You're leaving tomorrow to go back to Oregon, right? All right, you pray for their safety. Keep the shiny side up, right? All right.
3: All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Father God, uh, we just thank you for the calling that you've placed on this team uh, to come out here and to be your hands and feet, uh, to be your voice, to preach the gospel. To reach the nations. God, we just thank you for including us in the Great Commission work that you've given us. God, we just, we see the example um, that these people are and we're just inspired and we're encouraged and we're reminded of the seriousness that you're calling us to take your Great Commission for us. And God, as we consider um, just all the work that you have them doing in, in this situation with this unique demographic that to some of us and to the church for a lot of years has been, has been scary or, or we've wanted to close the doors to, God, we just are always reminded that, that you're seeking the lost. And that no one is a lost cause in your eyes. That you love your enemies and that you are seeking out those people. And that as we partner with you in the Great Commission, that you've promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we just ask that you would be with this team in a new and a fresh way this week. Would your Holy Spirit fall on them as they have conversations? as they find ways to direct conversations that are not going well, as they are in tune with you and in step with you as you're directing of what to say, of who to give a Bible to, of how to help these people. Because, God, we believe that you're at work at the rally. We believe that you're at work in these people. And we just want to partner with you in that. And so, as Pastor Dan said, would you get these Bibles into the hands of the people who need it? We know that you are preparing hearts and minds to receive your word. And so would you make us willing servants who are able to do the work of extending a hand, of extending your word to those people? And then we're going to trust you with the results. And so God, we pray for this team. We pray that you would keep them safe. Would you keep them encouraged? Would you build the relationships that they have within the team with one another so that there's nothing that could get in the way of the work that you've called them to? And when we pray for all the Christians who are going to be at the rally, um, for Jerry and his friends who have come out here from Oregon, would they be safe in this time? Um, And we just know that because your Holy Spirit's on them, that you're working through them as well. Mm -hmm. And so, God, we just thank you for all that you are doing to reach our community, to reach the broader community, and to reach the very ends of the earth. And we commit to being a people who partner with you in that and who follow you as you lead us. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this team. Would you be with them? And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Common Grounds Alliance Church. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Dan. I'll take that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. As I said, these guys are full of stories and so grab them and see what you can get out of them. Or maybe see if you can join them on one of the days and you can come work the corner with us. Um, but it's at this time uh, we're going to transition into our teaching. And if you've been with us for a little while, then you'll know that we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And the Sermon on the Mount is a section of Matthew's Gospel that contains some of the most central teachings of Jesus. It was right before Jesus began his public ministry that he declared, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he called all these people to follow him, to be his disciples. And he gathers all of these new followers of Jesus on a mountainside and he begins to teach. And he teaches on the fundamentals of what people who follow Jesus look like and live like what our lives can and should look like as followers of jesus and what he's shown us over the last few chapters as we've worked our way through is that jesus cares about the way that we live he cares about the way that we live and he empowers us to live like he does and so we've seen a lot of different practical teachings on areas of life that we really need his holy spirit to empower us in we've looked at how jesus followers are called to be jesus followers are called to be salt and light how we are to view the bible how we're called to avoid hatred murder adultery divorce dishonesty revenge how we're called to love our enemies How we are to have an eternal perspective of our time of our finances of our effort as nick taught last week um, And today we're going to pick up We're actually going to go backwards a little bit to where we were a few weeks ago when we talked about how jesus called us Not to worry about practicing righteousness in front of others and to gain the approval and the intention of others but to gain the approval and the attention of god and to serve only him and to seek to please only him it was in that teaching that we actually skipped a little section i don't know if you guys noticed that some of you did notice it very much and you're really worried about it and you really want to come back to it and so that's what we're going to come back to today we're going to come back to a little section in that teaching on pleasing god that has come to be known as the lord's prayer have you heard of that one before you heard of the lord's prayer Anyone maybe maybe you heard of it. It's like Justin's heard of it. That's good one person here But I know that many of you do know what it is. It's found in the middle of matthew chapter 6 here And the lord's prayer even if you're new to faith even if you haven't been part of a church for very long I guarantee you've probably heard these words before But that actually the familiarity of it might come with some risks even that sometimes When god's word becomes too familiar to us Sometimes we can just check out and we think there's nothing for us to learn. This is just boring. This is not new. I like new information. I just want to invite you not to check out during this time just because you've heard this before, just because you've probably heard a million teachings on this before, because there's a reason that the Lord's Prayer has become so globally known. There's a reason this is the most prayed prayer in the history of all religions, faith movements around the world. It's because this little prayer, Jesus is instructing us how to pray and i just want to invite you to lean into that but before we do that little thought experiment for you if someone were to come up to you you're working the corner at the rally because that's what you guys are going to join us in this week someone commits their life to christ and they come up to you and they ask how do i pray what do you tell them do you feel confident comfortable that you could instruct someone how to pray if someone has never prayed before You do? Okay. Like, where would you start? Would you tell them interdigitation, hand-folding? Would you start with posture? Would you start with the words that they need to say? Would you start with, like, the mindset, with what they should be thinking about? No? Okay, maybe a few different ways. But do you feel comfortable that you could teach someone how to pray? Maybe. Do you know where you would go in the scriptures, maybe for some help in this? I'll give you a hint, it's where we're at today. Because, as you're going to see at the start of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And I think when Jesus said that, he meant it. And so we're going to kind of take Jesus' word for it, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer as a model for how we should pray. As a bit of an instruction for, okay, well, what is prayer? What is prayer? What does "for" mean? How do we do it? And we're going to follow this as a bit of a model. Because I think Jesus meant it. I think we're called to pray like this. I think we're called to pray like Jesus instructed here. It was Jonathan Pennington in his book on the Sermon on the Mount who said this about the Lord's Prayer. He said, The prayer, what we're going to look at in a minute, is not the only prayer that a Christian can or should pray, but rather it is a model of what kind of petitions and God orientation should mark the Christian life. It is the scaffolding around the tower of prayer or the guiding handrails along which the disciple walks in forming his or her own prayers. And so the Lord's Prayer is the model. It's the pattern that we have to follow for how to pray. It's the posture for what our prayers can and should be like. And so I think it's really important for us to regain this model and to see Jesus' instructions here for how to pray. Because I think we recognize the reality that religious people which is me and many of you we have an uncanny ability to really suck the life out of prayer uh, maybe we make it seem overly casual like oh it's just a conversation and then we wonder why don't people take it very seriously oh it might be because we just preach this very casual thing that's oh, just a conversation but then sometimes as religious people We swing the pendulum too far in the other direction we say well It's more than just a conversation because it's a conversation with the god who created the universe and you're essentially transported to the throne in heaven And this conversation could result in lives changed in wounds healed in the world changing And so we get really strict about what needs to be said how it's said how you're supposed to pray To the point that we actually scare people out of it and to the point that they think "I Maybe should just leave prayer to the experts And so I think it's important that we look at what jesus says here Because I think he lets a lot of the pressure out when it comes to the standards that maybe we hold up too high for prayer. And I think he calls us to a higher standard than just seeing it as a casual little thing. Because Jesus says, pray like this. And this short little poetic prayer of Jesus has changed the world. Billions of people have prayed this prayer over the last 2,000 years. And I think if we lean into this, and if we follow Jesus' instruction to pray like this, and I really think that will be changed as well. And so would you, if that gave you enough time, you should find your way to Matthew chapter 6. I'll have the words on the screen as well. We're going to start in verse 7. Thank you. We're going to start in verse 7 and read to verse 15 here. And so you can follow along on the screen as we see Jesus' words here. And so, beginning Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray... For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so according to Jesus, this is how you pray. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to kind of take it line by line. We're going to see what God has to say. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit to change us in the process. Um, But beginning there in verse 7, Jesus kind of begins, and he introduces this prayer. By saying, you know, do not keep babbling like the pagans do. He says in verse 7 and 8. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so the first thing that I just want to comment on is, Jesus is not forbidding long prayers. And I know many of you probably wish that he would. Especially at the times that I ask you to extend an arm. And you're thinking, this is really tiring. Um, But Jesus obviously prayed some long prayers. If you look at John chapter 17, it's a whole chapter where Jesus is praying really long. Um, But what he's saying here instead, and which is going to be our big idea for today, that we're going to kind of look at this prayer through, is that the way that we pray actually reveals what we believe about God. And actually how we approach God in prayer is a reflection of what we think he's like. And so that's really the big idea that I think Jesus is getting to here, is that our prayer and how we pray reveals what we believe god is like and so what does it communicate what does it reflect if we approach god in prayer just saying as many words as we can trying to be super specific trying to get every single need that we could ever have or if we're trying to be overly eloquent if we're trying to impress god with our words what does that communicate about what we believe god is like i think it communicates that we think maybe we have to impress god That maybe God is waiting for us to crack the code or to follow the formula or to get prayer right. And I think what he's getting at in these first few verses of don't heap up empty phrases is that that communicates that God doesn't hear us or doesn't know what we need. We're trying to earn his ear. We're trying to do something in order to get him to listen to us. And this is the posture Jesus says we are not to have. And you can see this in many places all throughout the bible. You can think of first kings chapter 18 It's that chapter where you have the prayer battle between the prophets of baal and elijah Right, and they set up these altars and they're going to have a battle over which god is going to answer their prayers And the prophets of baal For half a day from morning until noon. They simply pray over and over again. Oh, baal hear us Oh, baal answer us and on and on and on answer us hear us Morning until noon Baal doesn't answer they have 450 prophets doing this all at the same time and so elijah in that story he begins to point out some of their problems through some competitive trash talk um, and he says you know maybe you should shout louder maybe your god is busy maybe he's asleep so they shouted louder and louder and louder and on and on these 450 prophets went crying out Baal, answer us hear us and eventually it turned into this really Violent religious frenzy where they're cutting themselves and they're trying to get blood to flow just to get their God's attention. Or there's another story in Acts chapter 19, where there's the Ephesian mob chanting for two hours, "Great is Artemis of Ephesus." And there are there are examples from other religions and other phases of people praying single syllables for hours and hours on end, or needing to do these ritualistic dances or running around in circles in order to just get God's attention. the result at the end is people collapse in exhaustion or if god doesn't answer the prayer well they didn't do it right and we even see examples of this in our own faith as well of feeling the need to work ourselves up into an emotional hype of feeling the need to do something right in prayer or else god probably won't hear us just this last week a very popular worship musician from kind of the last decade he recommended that to help your prayer life you should start taking hallucinogenic mushrooms Uh, and he talked about how you know I was really struggling with prayer but what has really helped me is this this I've cracked the code I've figured prayer out and this really reflects what we believe about God and what we believe about how to approach God that there's something we need to do there's a formula we need to follow there's a code we need to crack in order to get his attention in order to gain his ear And this is not the posture Jesus wants us to take. And I wonder for any of us if you've ever felt like you have needed to impress God. If you have felt the need to grab his attention. To the point that maybe when you pray you think "Ah, I know he's not interested. I know he's not listening. And I think what Jesus is instructing us here is that prayer is not just this religious activity where we have to do the right thing in order to gain his attention. It's privilege that we have to enter into god's presence that we have his ear that we don't have to do anything specific to gain that but actually when we pray we enter into fellowship community with him into his real presence and his ears turned towards us and so know that we don't have to impress god with our many words that jesus says don't heap up empty phrases that, that god doesn't need to be convinced by you in your prayers and he's not waiting for you to say it enough or to say it right And in elijah's story that I mentioned those 450 guys prayed all day. Nothing happened Elijah comes up and says one short prayer and bam god works And he isn't Working he isn't busy. He isn't sleeping or distant. He's present and awake and he wants to hear you And god knows what you need jesus says before you've even said it And he cares deeply about you. And this is why Jesus starts this prayer, once you get into the structure there, by reminding us of who we're praying to. He starts the prayer with our Father in heaven. And this is the foundation, the beginning of the prayer that everything else is going to be built on from here on. That all of prayer, all of our interaction with God is built on this foundational truth of our Father in heaven. This is the one we're praying to. Not some distant god we need to impress or do the right thing for but we're praying to our father in heaven There's no skill we have to master or thing that we have to figure out We're praying to our father in heaven Now the lord's prayer actually has this really interesting structure again It's a bit of a poem that jesus gave that maybe I think has helped it to be so catchy and memorable here Um, But the structure is actually really important because he begins With the address to who we're praying to and then there are two stanzas and each stanza has three requests in each one and so you can see a bit of the breakdown in here on that black and white slide there where there's the structure there it begins with this address our father in heaven and then it moves into those other stanzas and those other requests and it's actually just like the ten commandments how they're structured where the first half is all god focused and the second half is all human focused there and so you see that structure in the ten commandments you see it here With the lord's prayer and if you're familiar with jesus's great commandment then you'll know he said okay what is the great commandment to love the lord to love your neighbor first half there is all god related second half there is human related but he begins at the beginning with our father in heaven with the address and with this important reality from which all the rest of the prayer is going to be built on and so what jesus is saying that we begin all of our prayers we begin our understanding of prayer with who we are praying to our father in heaven that this is even something we probably need to remind ourselves of every single day and this idea of praying to god as your father was not actually common in first century judaism at the time jesus was teaching when he went around calling god father all the time People noticed it, and they were weirded out a little bit. And so they were always asking him, why do you pray this way? What are do you doing? Because that was not a common thing. But yet, it all of a sudden just became normal for Jesus to do. This is how he was praying. He just prays all over the place, Abba, Father. And this, this is the posture he wants us to take as well. That every prayer we recognize is to Abba, God, our Father. And so it's actually the first Christians in the first century that made this a practice they always prayed to abba father to god our dad and jesus walked around saying this and the first christian said that and i know it's probably not a comforting thing to some of you who maybe didn't have good fathers but even if you didn't or even if you had the best dad in the world what we do have to recognize is that all of us can experience the goodness of our heavenly father because even the best father in the world pales in comparison I'm to our heavenly father and he wants to meet us in that place But the apostle paul wrote in romans chapter 8 about this He said for those of you who are led by the spirit of god and are children of god That's you. I hope The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again Rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship And by him we cry abba father and So if you look at romans here we're able to cry, Abba, Father, that when we approach God, we know that we are talking to a good father who loves us. And if you really want, you could pray and call God Daddy. We'll all think you're a little weird for it, but biblically, we can't say it's off limits. This, this is who we're praying to. Jesus wants us to understand at the very beginning of our approach to prayer who we're praying to. It's our good Father Father. And I think if we get that, then the rest will be able to fall into place. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, do, do our prayers reflect that? Do our prayers reflect an understanding that we are praying to a God who hears us and cares for us? Or maybe has it become a bit of religious activity where we feel the need to crack a code, to follow a formula, to say things the right way or to say things enough in order to get him to know and to act? Are you praying to God? our father in heaven jesus continues and he says hallowed be your name or if you prefer hallowed be thy name if you've memorized that version now we don't really say hallowed very often i don't know when the last time i used that in a sentence is. so it might not be the most familiar thing we still do have halloween that we're probably familiar with but then it gets kind of confusing and what does this have to do with candy and scary movies long story but essentially this word hallow means holy means uniqueness means set apart one of a kind and to hallow something is to consider it or to honor it as holy as unique as set apart and so in saying hallowed be thy name we are praying god your name is holy god you are set apart unique in our hearts in our minds in our lives and it's also the prayer god may you be set apart may you be unique." May you be respected and honored. And we're praying for God to be considered holy and be recognized as holy in our lives and in the world. And if we consider how the Lord's Prayer matches up with the Ten Commandments, well, if this is the very beginning of it, then you'll notice how this matches up with the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment there in Exodus chapter 20, is you shall have no other gods before me. And this is a way of saying, God, you are central in my life. we say, hallowed is your name, that I will have no other gods but you. You'll be unique. You'll be set apart. When I think about what I hope for, what I hope in, what I want in life, nothing else will do except you. I will set you above all things in my life. And I will seek to make sure that you are set apart in the world as well and the way that i consider this what it might mean um, to actively seek out god's name to be hallowed is if you're a tolkien fan if you're a fan of lord of the rings which as many of us know is the best nonfiction ever written and tolkien produced what is the best fantasy world in the history of literature well then you will probably know that amazon is producing a show that's coming out in about a month based on some of tolkien's works It's planned to be the most expensive piece of entertainment ever. They have allocated over a billion dollars to make this series. And a lot of people are very excited about it. But a lot of really diehard Tolkien fans are not very excited about it. A lot of people are actually very worried. They're very worried about the fact that a large corporation has their hands on such beloved stories. Because, as we've seen from history, what happens when large corporations get their hands on beloved stories as they tend to ruin them, don't they? (laughs) They change very key things. They work them into their sensibilities and preferences. And so a lot of people are really worried about what Amazon might do to this. And there are actually countless petitions against the show. There are professors who actually teach Tolkienology, which is a thing, who are on strike at the moment because of it. Uh, there's one petition I found online with 7,000 signatures to keep the original book covers and artwork for the stories and so that they won't change them to something that the show has come up with. There are petitions to keep characters original to prevent additional people groups or characters from being created and from tampering with key storylines. And there is one petition out there with almost 60,000 signatures to keep nudity out of the show. Okay? And what these Tolkien fans want and... What my prayer is for this is that Amazon would recognize and respect the uniqueness and the specialness of Tolkien's world here. That they would hallow its name. That they would not disrespect it or change it. That they would let Tolkien be what Tolkien wanted it to be and not take too much creative liberty in making it what they want it to be. And this is very similar to our call to hallow God's name. That we would let him lead that we would let his way be what's special, unique, versus what we want. And so to be able to say, I hallow your name, is to be able to say, God, I place you above all things. Above myself, above my preferences. And therefore, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're able to say this. And again, the way that we pray reveals what we believe god is like so do you believe god's ways are right is god set apart hallowed in your life is god's name above all names can you let god's rule take over in your life can you let god call the moral balls and strikes in your life because i think this is the call and i think if we pray this prayer that's what we're praying. Because if you pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, what you have to recognize is that you have to start with yourself. We have to allow God's kingdom to come in our lives. We have to allow his will to overtake our will. We have to relinquish control to him. And you can think about when Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The night before Jesus was killed, he was actually praying to God and saying, i don't really want to do this he actually prays god if there is any other way take this cup for me but jesus's prayer didn't end there because then he still prayed but if not then i'll submit to your will and i see jesus praying that and i ask myself man, would i have been able to pray that knowing this is coming would i have been able to submit to god's will the way that jesus did Especially because, if you notice, Jesus prayed, and he got a note from God. Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is at all possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus said, if it's all possible, and God said, no, it's not possible. But because Jesus knew that God is a loving Father, that his kingdom was coming to earth, that his will is the will that needed to be done, Jesus submitted and followed. I think we have to ask, do our prayers reflect the same thing? It's willingness to submit to God's will and to God's leading. It was the Presbyterian theologian, Frederick Beechner, who wrote this. And it's a little long, but it's so good, so I still had to share it. He said, We do well not to pray the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. We can pray it in an unthinking and perfunctory way. We usually do only by disregarding what we are saying. Thy will be done is what we are saying. That is the climax of the first half of the prayer. We are asking God to be God. We are asking God to do not what we want, but what God wants. We are asking God to make manifest the holiness that is now mostly hidden, to set free the terrible splendor and devastating power that is now mostly under restraint. To speak these words is to invite the tiger out of the cage, To unleash a power that makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. When we pray, thy will be done, this is what we're doing. But I think we have to remember, even though we can't take these words lightly, even though this is a huge significant thing, that Jesus is leading us into the way that we're supposed to live. Jesus is restoring us back to the relationship that we're called to have. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We are in right relationship with God the way that we're called to be. And so this is what followers of Jesus look like. We pray like. We pray in a way that gives God control, that sets his name above all things, that says, may your will be done. And we can pray this because we know that God is our father in heaven. We can hang on to that. So that's the first half of the Lord's prayer here. The second half of the prayer gets into essentially the more human focus here and jesus shows three specific things that i think he was saying we need to bring to god every day that we need to remind ourselves of every day and we need to pray every day three specific things food forgiveness and deliverance here because he begins here with give us today our daily bread and you know there are a lot of competing narratives out there about how you get your daily bread One of the more common ones is you get it just through your hard work, through your ingenuity. You just have a good work ethic, do your best, and you can take care of yourself. You don't actually need to rely on God. And that narrative doesn't really match up with this prayer for daily bread very well, does it? You know, some people, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't know where their daily bread is coming from. That's probably not most of us, I could assume. Um, But it was more common for the original audience that jesus was speaking to the group gathered on the hillside many of them wouldn't have known where their next meal was coming from they would have lived meal to meal but not all of them Um, if we know anything about jesus's disciples then you'll know there were guys like matthew who's a tax collector who was probably very very well off Uh, there were guys like john who, through history, we think they pretty much owned a fishing empire, and were probably doing all right. And as you can see, Jesus hung out with what seemed to be a lot of people that had big houses, and he hosted these large dinners at them. And so not everyone just had this built-in mindset that they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. But nonetheless, Jesus says, that doesn't matter, this is still the way that you pray. This is still the mindset, this is still the posture of prayer that we're called to have. That even if you know where your next meal is coming from, consider it a gift. Remember, it's not from your hard work, it's from God's provision. That our prayers, especially when it comes to this, is going to reflect who we think is providing for us. Are we providing for ourselves, or is God our provider? I think this is the position that He's calling us to have to remember here, to not take for granted. The daily bread that we have the things that we have the time the possessions the effort that we have but to see each gift that we have is a daily gift from god that we have from our provider and i think it's important as a follower of jesus to have this mindset and i think we have to ask ourselves then of course just do our prayers reflect this do our prayers reflect that god is our provider that god is the one from which we receive all good things From which we receive all basic necessities. Does the way that you pray reflect that you believe God is your provider? So I think Jesus is calling us to pray that way. Then he moves into forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness in chapter 5 that we went through. He's going to continue to talk about forgiveness through the entire Gospel of Matthew if you're not familiar with the bible much you'll realize it's kind of a major theme in the entire book Um, but forgiveness is so central to what jesus talks about that i think jesus is actually saying that we need to kind of daily burn this into our mind this needs to be part of our prayer every single day that i am forgiven and therefore i am called to forgive i'm called to forgive others as jesus has forgiven me and if you remember the teaching on revenge and enemies that we talked about a few weeks ago then you'll remember that jesus called christians to be the place at which revenge stops right that when we have been harmed and hurt that we don't get back because jesus didn't get back in his enemies right bless you that on the cross jesus even prayed father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing while he's being nailed up there and this is the call that he's placed on us that we would extend forgiveness. That forgiveness wouldn't just be for us, to us, but it would actually flow out of us through that same path to others. And so Jesus says, it's so central to what I'm doing, what I'm about, that this should be a model for our prayers. And maybe you noticed it at the very end of the Lord's Prayer, that then Jesus has this confusing little line about forgiveness where he says if you refuse to forgive others heavenly father will forgive you and i think what jesus is saying is that forgiveness is so central to his way of life that there are real consequences for refusing to do so and notice how jesus does not say that if you struggle to forgive they won't forgive you or if it takes some time then you're in trouble he says if you refuse, some of your versions might say, if you refuse to forgive, because if the way that we pray, if the way that we act is a reflection of what we think God is like, of the God that we believe in, then refusing to forgive seems to kind of reflect a picture that maybe you have not received the forgiveness from the Father. That the number one sign in Jesus' mind that the grace of God has sunk in is our ability to forgive others. It's our ability to then turn and extend that forgiveness to others as we have received it. And this is, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel over and over. And Jesus knows that this is a very hard thing. Forgiveness is a very difficult thing. And this is why I think he's given it to us as something we need to pray every day. We need to pray every day. And if you haven't noticed... This prayer, the Lord's prayer for all these things, isn't just a prayer for God to act, but especially when it comes to, as we forgive others, there is a big aspect of this that should cause us to step back and to think, well, what am I doing about this as well? There's a request for God to act, but as we see what God is like, as we see how our prayers reflect who God is, then we also consider asking God to be like that as well. We ask God to help us to do something about this. That as God has forgiven us, well, part of our prayer is, God, help me to be like you and to forgive others. And I think if we're a people who believe we are forgiven and who walk in step with the Spirit, I think he's leading us to forgive others. So I think our prayers can reflect that. That we can pray even for ourselves that God would lead us to forgive others to those situations in our lives. And the last thing that Jesus gets to here is deliverance, where he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I think Jesus is saying here that if you do this, everything else in the Lord's Prayer, if you let this prayer be the words that come out of your mouth, the posture of your heart, if you let the Holy Spirit work in you in this way, then you can expect opposition. Then you can expect that it might get hard right and for many of us i think we read that last line uh, that says lead us not into temptation and we think okay well so god is like dropping little traps for us as we walk around life and god is like trying to get us here and i would say no i don't think that's what jesus is saying here and the way that i know this is because well in the line right after that jesus i think says that that comes from someone else and so i think anytime there's a confusing line typically what you need to do is probably just keep reading And we let Jesus define what this means. And so Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Not deliver us from the traps that God set in your life. Deliver us from the evil one. And this is a reminder that following Jesus is hard. That there is opposition. That as we follow God's lead, there is an enemy who does not like what God is doing. There's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That these temptations... These difficulties will come up. But we can pray to God and we can trust that he will deliver us from the evil one. And This is a reminder that he will do that. And if you think about the times when Jesus was tempted, when Jesus was in need for this deliverance, we talked about one of them in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And then there's the other one in the desert, where Jesus, he's led into the desert. God was leading him. What happened? Opposition came. And he was tested out in the desert, tested with his loyalty to God, with his allegiance to God. Would he hallow God's name? Would he trust in God's kingdom? Or would he take power for the kingdom of this world? Would he follow God's will? Or would he follow the devil's ways there? And obviously, I imagine that probably was not a fun time for Jesus out there in the desert. And just like his time being tempted In the garden, I think we have permission to ask God, deliver me from this. I think we have permission here to say to God, God, I feel like I'm in this trap. I'm facing this temptation. Deliver me from it. God, help me in this situation. Because that's what Jesus said in the garden. But yet he knew that God's will is what needed to be done. And he knew that God would deliver him. And I think we have to see that example as a reminder that the deliverance from God might not look like we would maybe hope it does because the father led Jesus to give up his life. And that makes a bit of a conundrum for us as we recognize, well, we're following the father's lead. Might lead us into a difficult situation like that, but we know that in the end, that God delivered Jesus through it, that he raised him from the dead. And so we trust that God is the God who, even if it doesn't look the way that we thought it would, he will deliver us. He will bring us through. And so when we're facing those situations, those temptations, those difficulties, when we are facing the snares of evil, do your prayers reflect a God who will deliver you? Do you actually believe that God can and will deliver you from that, that he will not lead you into temptation, but he will deliver you from the evil one. That he can lead you on safe paths. And in those difficult situations, I mean, are you able to pray those prayers when it seems impossible? Because I think this is what Jesus is calling us to do, to have that posture, to pray even in those situations. A quote from Frederick beekner again for the win here, where he says that you need to be bold in another way to speak the second half of the Lord's Prayer here. Give us forgive us don't test us deliver us If it takes guts to face the omnipotence that is god's it takes perhaps no less to face the impotence that is ours We can do nothing without god We can have nothing without god without god. We are nothing He goes on to say It is only the words our father That make the prayer bearable If god is indeed something like a father Then as something like children, maybe we can risk approaching him anyway I think this is what makes the Lord's Prayer prayable. Again, it's that foundation, the words of God as our Father, that even in these difficult, impossible situations, even when it seems like maybe this is where God is leading me, maybe this is just part of the gig, that we can still approach him anyway, and we can reflect who he is. We can submit to his will, but we recognize that he's a Father who loves us is the father who loves us and so we can pray for deliverance even in these impossible situations where we're facing what feels just insurmountable i couldn't find where i heard this little anecdote from um, but i remember hearing just this little story about there was a king uh, who was really happy with one of his employees and the employee was getting married and so he sent an ambassador to this employee to tell him i'm volunteering to pay for your wedding i'm going to pray for it. pay for everything just send us the bill we'll pay for it and when the ambassador went to the person who was getting married for it i know you guys wish that would happen right that's what you're praying for pray for the impossible right um and so when the ambassador went and talked to this man and said hey king is volunteering to pay for everything the wedding got significantly more expensive than it was going to be before that Um, and the ambassador was a little maybe almost embarrassed to go back to the king with this huge bill of all these things that they were gonna have to pay for and he says hey you know, this is going to be really expensive king. You know, we're a small little nation. We don't have that much money. Maybe we're going to have to tone back and tell this guy we can't pay for everything. But the king actually responded by saying, you know what? If he thinks that I'm this rich and this generous, I'm actually kind of honored by that. So give him whatever he asks for and we'll figure it out there. And I think this is a good picture of what our prayers will reveal about God as well. I mean, do your prayers, do they reflect a God who maybe is kind of poor, maybe uh, can only pay for a few things? When you have things going on, will you approach God and think, God, will you do this? Uh, But I know that's a lot to ask, so maybe just like do what you're capable of doing. I mean, do you hold back? Because if if our prayers reflect what we believe God is like, I mean, what do small little prayers with, maybe you could do this, but I don't know. Uh, maybe just do the bare minimum what does that reflect what does that show that you believe about God I don't think God is necessarily honored by small prayers by prayers of if you can do this if you can do that I think God is inviting us to come to him with everything and we can pray like this that if God is our good father in heaven he's above all things he might not give you what you ask for, of course not but I think we can approach him like a child anyway and ask and ask and many of you probably noticed at the very beginning of this there's a little thing that caused you some confusion and you might wonder well why ask it all if God already knows if God already knows what we need like what's kind of the point of prayer what are we even doing here there are a lot of ways to answer that so that we can eat lunch today I'll just pick one so in eden if you remember after adam and eve sinned they went into hiding and god asked adam and eve where are you now he was asking where are you not because they were so good at hide and seek that he could not find them it's because as with prayer it's about relationship with him it's not just about what we get out of it it's about face-to-face relationship it's about being in his presence and so the fact that god knows what we need as jesus said here Is not supposed to kill our motivation for prayer or just say whatever, what's going to happen is going to happen. It's actually meant to encourage our motivation, to motivate us to pray, knowing that we don't have to convince God or stir him into giving us what we want, that God is our father, that God knows what we want and we need. We don't have to convince him. We don't have to fight him for it. That he's simply the God asking, where are you? He's simply the God asking for a relationship. He's asking us, show up to stop hiding and so i think we need to respond to the god who asks where are you because god sent his son who loves us and who brings his wayward prodigal wandering children back to him he made it possible for us to be his children to be considered children that when he looks at us he sees his son who he's pleased with And that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access. We can ask him as a father. And so I think, and I know, as we move forward with this prayer card in August, that praying every single day is going to be a struggle. And sometimes we can be held back just by our busyness, um, maybe by the shame that we have, maybe by our doubt of whether or not God answers prayers, or just by whatever I think we have to remember that god is inviting us here That god is the god who hasn't stopped asking. Where are you and he's the god who invites us to respond to him in prayer And so over the next month Maybe for the rest of your life. Would you lean into that? Would you pray In a way of saying here I am god You know what I need All things are before you Your name is above all names hallowed be your name And therefore I trust in your will I will live by your kingdom. I will view everything I have as a gift and that you are my provider. I know that you've forgiven me and so I can forgive others. I know that you are only good and you can deliver me and rescue me from any situation. So would you lean into this when Jesus says this is how you pray? I think this is our way of responding to the God who asks, where are you? This is the way that we are able to say, Here I am, God. So would you lean into this prayer? Though it's familiar, I believe this is the call that Jesus has placed on our lives. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We thank you for being a God who loves us, cares for us, that we can approach you as Father. We just declare That your name is above all other names. That that we have no other gods but you. That you are the one that we hope in. That you are the one that we seek fulfillment. Seek direction. We seek to live by your kingdom. Not the kingdom that we want to create for ourselves. And God, we just thank you for all those things. And we thank you as we look at our lives and we see the ways that you've provided for us. We repent of the many ways that we have not been grateful for what you've given us. That we have thought that we have earned it ourselves. But we know that you're calling us to be reminded that you are our provider. And so, God, I just pray for the people in this room um, who are praying that prayer for you to provide. Would you just do that? Would you show yourself as a provider? Because, God, it's truly our desire to reflect who you are in our lives, in our words, and in the way that we pray. So, Jesus, you are holy, and we thank you. Now we turn to you in worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So common ground as you go, remember these prayer cards. Remember uh, your family who has asked to be prayed for. And remember that you are being prayed for. So for the month of August, would you lean into this? Would you commit to every day praying for the request that you have? And maybe you will maybe run out of things to say. You don't know quite what to pray about at the end of the month. And so would you follow Jesus' instructions to pray like this? And now, as you receive this as your benediction, um, let's all read this together. Let's all read this together as we go. So, common ground. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one so grace and peace common ground have a wonderful week